Hello and welcome to the No BS Approach to Motherhood podcast, hosted by Catherine Hay and Shelley McKenzie. We are both mothers and clinical nutritionists who specialize in women's health. We are here to not only bring you the most up-to-date nutritional and health advice when it comes to fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and children's nutrition, but our main goal is to break through the BS that can come with motherhood. No topic is off limits, so grab a cuppa or a glass of wine and join us for another raw and real conversation surrounding motherhood. Hello, we are back with another educational episode. I get excited about these because they are our favourite topics to talk about, well, especially yours. You're the pregnancy guru. But um, <laughs> we thought we would break down pregnancy into each trimester just to give a nice clinical overview, um, dietary considerations, signs and symptoms to look out for during each trimester, certain blood pathology that we can use to help along with other tests that are recommended throughout pregnancy and any clinical considerations that we have to address throughout the pregnancy. So we're starting with today with trimester one. Yeah, we are. We decided to do this as well because our pregnancy nutrition podcast, the overview of all three trimesters, biggest episode we've ever done, wasn't it? So you guys are just loving it. (laughs) We were like, well, we better break this down. And that's it because that overview was just an overview. And when you go into each and every trimester, there are so many considerations that we wanted to talk about um, and break it down. So you've got the ins and outs of each trimester there as always a, a resource that you can always refer back to. Yeah, for sure. So I guess when we're looking at trimester one, from a practitioner point of view, some goals and some things that we're looking at in that first trimester is we're looking for that placenta optimization to be occurring, the early fetal development, including the neural tube closure. Thyroid support is a really big one because we know babies relying purely on our thyroid for the first half of its pregnancy. Obviously, prevention of miscarriage as well. So ensuring that, you know, and we'll dive into the pathology and what have you, but ensuring that the progesterone is being supported and stress management is supported. We're looking at lifestyle things such as, you know, avoiding high intensity training and just education around that is a really big one for that first trimester. And of course, looking at just some first trimester blood Pathology. Do you have any other goals that you're trying to sort of achieve in that first trimester? Everything that you said, and I think it's a really interesting time in a in a woman's life in that first trimester because it can be just surviving because of all of the first trimester related signs and symptoms. It's a time where you know we're not talking about that we're pregnant, but we're suffering, and you know it, it can be a little bit taboo. So I think just having that this space where we can talk about it and. You know, we obviously know miscarriage is higher in our first trimester. That's why we wait to that 12, 13-week scan to understand the baby's developing correctly and appropriately for the gestational age. Is It's a, it's a trying time. It can be a huge mental health tax on, on us because we're keeping a secret essentially as well. So I think when you mentioned the mental health around the first trimester is something that we really have to take into consideration when we're supporting our clients as well. Absolutely. And we talk about that so often when we're talking about that preconception all the way, particularly into this first trimester. And first trimester, it's 
very rare that you won't see one of our clients on some sort of stress support because it is a taxing time, particularly if you have experienced a miscarriage as well or have perhaps been through a challenging fertility journey and you finally got to this point, it can, yeah, it can just take a really huge toll. And it is, it's survival mode, but that, and some women that will literally just be surviving on the carbohydrates and eating foods that you wouldn't necessarily have considered or were a part of your diet previously. And that in itself can be quite a mental challenge for a lot of women, because if you're listening to this podcast or if you're a client of yours or mine, no doubt the food you eat is important for you. And all you want to be doing is what is right for you and your baby in this time. And often to some level, it's out of your control. And so that's where, again, what we do comes into play because we can sort of counteract or at least support you and ensure you that you are okay. And and where possible, we can top up those nutrients that you might be missing, or, you know, we can do things to support the symptoms that you might be chatting, sorry, that you might be feeling. And that is what we're going to be chatting about today as well. That's it. I think it's all about that optimization, right? That optimization of what can we bring in if you've got your food aversions, you 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 know, you're sensitive to smells, if you can't cook in the kitchen because of those smells, and if that um survival mode, you know, pregnancy and pregnancy, nausea, hyperemesis has kicked in. And again, you're limited to what you can consume. We are going to give you all those tips on, you know, some of those options that you can do with all those signs and symptoms present. So Let's start with pregnancy nausea because it is estimated that up to 85% of people will experience pregnancy nausea or vomiting. And obviously that there's a degree here. It ranges from your mild sickness to your most severe hyperemesis, um, which obviously can sometimes require hospitalization and often lasting until birth. It's not just in that first trimester. So most people will experience the so-called morning sickness. I hate that term, just so you know. I think morning sickness is the worst term. Pregnancy nausea is what I'm going to refer it to. (laughs) Yeah, because it does. It lasts all day, all comes in waves for a lot of women throughout the day. Exactly, exactly. And we really kind of see it kicking in around that six-week mark and it's usually peaking at around 10 weeks and we usually start to see it resolve at around that 12 to 14, 16 week mark, would you say? Yeah, definitely. And that's where, you know, those food aversions, heightened sense of smell, um, digestive upset, that really, that hangry feeling, feeling like you can eat and you're anxious, but if you eat, you're going to vomit. So it's really kind of distinguishing, is it more of a hypoglycemic um, pregnancy nausea um, or is it more of a slower digestion pregnancy nausea as well? Because both of these come with um, different signs and symptoms. And once we establish, oh, is it more of a hypoglycemic pregnancy nausea, we can obviously look at staggering food and, and ensuring that you're eating nutrients too to help balance those blood sugar levels. Where if, if it was a slow digestion pregnancy nausea, we would make sure you weren't eating as much and we'd look at reflux and burping and all of those things that can come with, you know, those feelings of fullness after meals and poor appetite. So I think having that distinction early on, if you do experience pregnancy nausea is really important too. And just on that for the hypoglycemia, so in order to try to work out which one 
you falling. So hypoglycemia is you experience worse nausea with delayed meals. So for example, if you finish eating, say dinner at 7 or 8 p.m. and then you go until 7 or 8 p.m. before you have breakfast, you might wake up or you might start to feel really nauseous. So generally it's relieved by eating and often those carbohydrates and sugar cravings are a really big telltale sign that it's the hypoglycemia. If it's slowed digestion, poorer appetite, so you might not feel like as many meals as frequently, you might really struggle getting the food in and often because of this it's worse for eating and yeah the reflux and burping and the constipation which you mentioned as well so they're just a few other signs to try to distinguish the difference yeah and I think it's really important to note too because we have such an influx of progesterone during um, pregnancy progesterone is a natural muscle relaxant too so it's slowing down the digestive system for optimal nutrient extraction for you and bub. So constipation, regardless if it's coming in pregnancy nausea, is a common first trimester um, sign and symptom as well. But I've digressed a little bit, but we'll definitely touch on constipation because I know many women experience it, but that is obviously a sign and symptom of that slower digestion with pregnancy nausea as well. Yeah, absolutely. So with the nausea, the other thing that I like to do with my clients is to look at their supplementation. So generally in that first trimester, if you've had the opportunity to do some preconception care, then that's fabulous. If not, it's okay. But generally what I do is look at supplementation and only prescribe the necessary supplements because some supplements will be triggering that nausea as well, like your iron supplement, for example, so um, or or a, a multivitamin with activa- activated bees will really trigger that nausea for you. So that's really important. And then also looking at things like are you taking tablets over capsules, which absorb quicker in the gut? And so, again, just prioritising which form of supplement you're in and then what supplement you actually need at this point is really important because it could, once you've removed that trigger, it could essentially be resolved to some extent, you know. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing too because I always say to my clients, if there is that trigger um, and we can remove it, great, because there's also so many supplements we can bring in to relieve that pregnancy nausea as well. So we, it's a really, it's it's a fine line balancing act be, between what we can bring in to relieve it, but also what we could remove to relieve it as well. For sure. So what are some of your, let's talk foods first for nausea. What are some of the things that you like to do to help a woman who's experiencing the all-day sickness? So I guess for foods, I'm really focusing on eating small regular meals I think for me regardless of um, what type of pregnancy nausea they have it's a really beneficial way just to keep that blood sugar regulation happening but also really want to focus on protein and fats and I know carbs come into it and I think carbs are fantastic but if you've got your protein and your fat coming through that's going to balance your blood sugar levels but it's also going to make you feel satiated between meals as well so you don't get that big drop in blood sugar and then you get that hangry feeling and you eat and full and then it kickstarts that nausea response as well. So, you know, you can be having your beautiful sourdough toast with your avocado and your eggs. You could be having hummus and crackers or, you know, pieces of cheese also on those crackers to just get you through if you are feeling nauseous as well. But I think having 
those small, like six meals a day, for instance, if you are in the throes of morning sickness can be really beneficial. But you have to be prepared. This is the other thing too. If you're not prepared with your meals, it's going to be so much easier to grab a snack, like maybe high in sugar or high in refined carbohydrate, which will initially make us feel better, but then it'll just be a vicious cycle after that food has worn off. So you have to be prepared. You have to carry snacks around with you. And you again, you're looking for those high protein, high fat snacks. Um, some of those protein bars can be really good. Um, the Beauty Bites by Crumble I like, because again, you're getting your protein from the collagen coming through. You've got a little bit of those sugars and fats coming through as well. So it doesn't have to be a full meal, but being prepared with your snacks as well, I think it is, is very, very important. Yeah, I totally agree. And what meals you are eating, just try to jack them up where possible. Even yeah. if you're having to use some powders, like some veggie powders in that meal or whatever you've got to do, you can also try to jack up you know, if it's a pasta sauce or what have you, sort of similar to what we do in the, when what we spoke about in the toddler nutrition. In that episode, there's probably actually some really good tips as to how you sneak food into a toddler's meal, sort of saying yeah. in a, preg- a first trimester pregnancy meal, you know, so and trying to get other people to cook for you where possible, if possible, amazing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think also, I love the green, again, not sponsored, greens and reds powder by Nutra Organics for first trimester because it's pregnancy safe. If you're unable to get a lot of those nutrients in through fresh, you know, vegetables and fruits, we can supplement. We can put it with some coconut water and make it into an icy polyphy craving cold foods. I've got an incredible recipe for that on my Instagram and I've grated fresh ginger into it. So it's a nice little icy pole with those greens and reds powder, with the coconut for electrolytes and with the ginger to help that pregnancy nausea. But you don't even have to make it into an isopole. You can make that into a drink and sip on that throughout the day. So having those products there as like an insurance policy can be an also really great way if you're unable to take your supplements or if you're unable to get those foods in through, throughout the day also. Yeah, at least you know you're getting some nutrient-dense foods in, which I think is yeah, important. Caffeine is going to be a potential trigger. Sugar is going to be a potential trigger. Even though you're going for the carbohydrates, essentially they might make you feel better initially, but probably not long-term as well. And so that's where, as you mentioned, that protein and fat's really important as well. So that's just something else to mention there. And in terms of supplements, what supplements do you like to use? Obviously, I love ginger because I think it's an incredible food as medicine support. Obviously, we can supplement um, our clients on a high therapeutic dose as well. But then a lot of people don't want to have ginger also in first trimester. So again, it's working out what works. But I really like ginger because you can add it to your water. So if you are, you know, vomiting and you need to increase your hydration, adding fresh ginger is is a really great way to do it. Obviously, there are liquid um, ginger herbal extracts that you can use, Shell, and I can prescribe it in capsule form as well. Um, I also like B6. That's obviously been widely studied for its benefits of pregnancy nausea. And there's different dosages again. So we kind of go by each of our pregnancy patients, but you can safely supplement, you know, 200 milligrams a day in divided doses. So you could go up to 400 milligrams a day. Um, and there are, I love probiotics too. So obviously if there's anything coming in with that 
slower digestion and we need a little bit of extra support there. I think slippery arm can be fantastic. You know, your lactobacillus species can be fantastic as well. But again, case dependent. And on the ginger, even going for like a sugar-free ginger beer or a kombucha, obviously not a homemade kombucha. I always recommend shellfort because they are very safe products in terms of they are a raw fermented product, obviously. But a ginger kombucha, because it's the bubbles, and it's cold, often that can be really settling on the tummy as well. Um, if you're unable to take it in a tea form or like a liquid extract or tablet as well. Yeah, so that's, oh, yeah. and then, yeah. Sorry, you go. I was going to say electrolytes are really important yeah. as well. Yeah, so you mentioned coconut water as one. I also really like the Basica formulation, which is yeah. a really nice electrolyte, which we could prescribe to clients but that one is a big one and I also use that later in pregnancy often as well yeah I love Basica and also if you want a a cheap homemade remedy you can just literally get a really good quality Celtic sea salt or a pink Himalayan add it to one of your one liter water bottles at home you can add a squash a a squash a squeeze of fresh lemon or lime or mint or any of those beautiful flavors to that as well to support the intracellular hydration that comes with those salts and minerals from just sea salt basic sea salt as well yeah now we talked a little bit about like salads and fruits and vegetables so I guess before we dive into any other specific sort of conditions that might arise let's chat about food in first trimester because many of our clients come well my clients I know for sure come and they're very confused about what they can and cannot be eating And I don't know, this one just gets me with a lot of women because they have been, they've gone to the doctor, they're really excited, they've found out they're pregnant, they've been given a list of what not to eat, but because they're not allowed to eat lettuce from a bag or this from a bag or what have you, they feel very limited with what they can be consuming. So I guess let's talk about what you and I don't avoid and why, (laughs) because that's probably going to be easier than running through what to avoid you know yeah absolutely and I love this because I'm such a whole food pregnancy gal I I definitely love to educate my clients who are pregnant around let's eat everything within great it obviously has to feel right you have to feel good about it but let's really break this down so I there's not many things I tend to avoid um so I love including eggs that are runny if I'm using incredible organic free-range pasteurized um, pasteurizing chickens absolutely fantastic with the choline status and all of those other nutrients your b group vitamins and things like that um i love beef liver another controversial one because of its vitamin a and its heme iron and all the other again b12 copper all these other micronutrients i love sashimi Because, again, of the DHA, um, essential fatty acid profile, again, I'm not saying go down to your local sushi train where you're unsure about how long that sushi has been going around. It's about using, for me, a little bit of common sense and going to a really good Japanese restaurant and saying, you know, I am pregnant, but I'm, I would love to eat some of that top sashimi-grade salmon and having it cut fresh 
off the, you know, out of the kitchen and prepared for you like that. I don't see an issue in, in any of that. And same with our dairy. Our dairy here in Australia has been pasteurized and homogenized. So it, it's killing off that bacteria, right? So a lot of the times we're told to avoid soft cheeses, but women just avoid dairy altogether. And if you aren't intolerant to dairy, it's such a fabulous profile of protein for some people as well. So this is a, this is the thing um, that I get concerned with is that whole food group has been totally abolished from their diet. So again, I'm not saying go and eat that soft camembert off the picnic table that could have been there for two hours. But if you're wanting to have a piece of brie or camembert that you brought from your local super supermarket or, or somewhere that you trust and they've got a good reputation absolutely enjoy that i definitely don't recommend blue cheese because it is malt there is a risk there of infection but again i'm using common sense here with, with where i'm picking and choosing my foods from so going to reputable delis going to good quality restaurants going to your local cafes where you know the turnaround is high they're not sitting there going don't eat that broccoli are they but there is a risk that we can get listeria from that as well so i think in pregnancy, we just have to always err on the side of caution. I get that. But I don't think we have to be too cautious either if we're choosing good quality ingredients. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I always just say to the woman, this is your pregnancy, your journey, whatever feels right and comfortable, as you said, is really important. So mm-hmm. For example, having had a miscarriage before, I ate all the raw eggs. I ate all the things that I wanted and I didn't avoid anything, but I knew in my heart of hearts that that miscarriage was not because of a foodborne illness or it wasn't because of what I'd eaten. Uh, And so, you know, but I can understand a woman does need to feel comfortable. And if something did happen to her baby, she needs to know that what she's done from her end wasn't the causative factor you know and so I guess as well for us the great thing with working with a practitioner is we can go okay well you don't want to eat that egg or you you don't have access to a good quality egg source and you hate scrambled eggs for example well then let's look at what nutrients are missing if there's somewhere else we can get that in through the diet and if not let's supplement yeah, absolutely. And that's it. It all comes down to per- personal preference, choice, and, and what you want to do. But I'm just so passionate about that education around those foods because there's no fish in the diet. There's no red meat in the diet because the recommendation is to have very well-cooked steak, which is, for me, I, I hate well-cooked steak. I can't. My gut can't even break it down. I'd be highly constipated after that. So, <laughs> I think that's when I get passionate and I'm probably sounding a bit direct here about it because I'm seeing complete food groups being missed. And I totally respect and understand, like, you know, if you've had miscarriage or you're going through that, that, you know, those food choices might be a little bit intimidating because you want to do the right thing and you really want to you're not exposed to those um, bacteria and salmonella, listeria and all of that. I hand on my heart feel so deeply in that also but I think like you said working with a practitioner to support you and guide you and 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 give you that information what you choose to do with that information is completely up to you but know that your hand will be held with those food groups as well also you know I loved all the deli meats I wouldn't get it from the supermarket I get it from a butcher and it's actually I think yeah 
quality is what it comes down to as well. Just quality, quality, quality of your food and things like salad bags. Obviously, there's that um, listeria salmonella, you know, foodborne illness. It is very hard if you're shopping at a supermarket not to buy your produce in a out of a bag. And, yes. and that is something to avoid. Yes. If you can be uh, going to farmer's markets, you're going to find it easier. Obviously, if you're really stuck, just washing it very well. Splash of apple cider vinegar in some water, wash it. If you're still really unsure, just wilter it. You know, things like spinach, we get more iron out of the spinach anyway when it's wilted as opposed to raw. So uh, there's certainly ways around it and ways you can still be getting these foods in. It just perhaps might not be completely raw, like it might be lightly steamed or what have you instead exactly and also something else I want to touch on is like you know the oyster thing because we know oysters are the highest form of zinc food that you can get and I it's also in beef liver as well so you can go off and have maybe some smoked oysters every now and again from the can I ate raw oysters through my pregnancy with Sunny purely because I knew where they'd come from I literally saw them chuck them off the oyster farm when I had them And I do, obviously, I'm a bit of an oyster connoisseur. So I do know a bad oyster from a good oyster purely by smell. So I felt confident in my ability to say, okay, am I going to be doing harm to my baby or am I actually going to be feeding it a really nutrient-dense food? And I always made that decision to include it into my diet. But, again, it's not everyone. And I so understand because it's a shellfish and it's a filter of the, the ocean. I so understand that. But if oysters are something that you do like, you know, you can get them and cook them through a pasta. You can do the smoked oysters in a tin, same with mussels and things like that. So I think there's always different options to you don't always have to have those raw. But like you said, even with the spinach and cooked tomatoes, there's more lycopene in them. You can do that with those seafood options as well. And your cravings generally mean something. So also don't disregard that. Like if you are craving something, it's, it could be your body telling you a nutrient that you needed. Like it's not uncommon for women to be craving the sashimi during pregnancy. And often that's that iodine. And again, we know that the thyroid is supporting baby for that first half of, of its life. And so, yeah, things like sashimi is very like a very common craving for a lot of women so listen to your cravings and again we can help you break down what they mean so fatigue is another big one Uh, obviously if you're following more of a whole food diet again if you're getting those fats proteins regular meals basically I feel like everything we've just said is going to help with the fatigue yeah absolutely and also in first trimester you're going through the most rapid growth and development we can't necessarily avoid that fatigue also like we have to say there's so much we can do but there's also so much we can't do and I think the first trimester fatigue there's an extent where everything's going to work and then there's just not because not only growing a baby you're growing an entire new organ to support that baby and to support you so I feel like pregnancy fatigue just kind of comes part and parcel with that first trimester as well absolutely just rest wherever you can enjoy it it's going to be very hard for the rest of your life to rest when you want to rest (laughs) so you know and and no heavy intense exercise and all of that like um that's a really important one not only because of the fatigue but also the physical stress that heavy you know and endurance exercise can have on your body I always say to women now's the time for light walks yoga pilates it's the time to really back off the exercise and just conserve that energy as much as you can. 
How many times a week do you recommend um, light exercise such as those practices during the first trimester? To be honest, I don't. Like I just say to women, talk to your trainer because many of my women are actually seeing a personal trainer as well. Um, yeah, so so to be honest, I, I just say go and go and chat to your trainer. Um, ideally from a stress management point of view, I'd be liking women to be doing some form of movement every day, really gentle movement, but I like that for medicine for the mind as opposed to, I don't know, benefits to the body. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Well, you know what that, I mean? Yeah. And that's something that, you know, we touched on at the start is that is that mental health load of the first trimester and having this secret that you, you know, you're excited about but you're also anxious about because of all the risk factors involved. So I think, you know, like you said, that medicine for the mind is so important. Do shit that makes you happy is so important. And carving out that time when you can and if you're feeling up to it, because obviously if you were in the throes of hyperemesis or really intense pregnancy nausea, you're just going to be a bit bedridden. Um, but carving out that time in your day to cultivate a practice, whether it's journaling, whether it's lighting a candle, you know, having a tempered bath, you can have a bath as long as it's not stifling hot during pregnancy and doing those practices that maybe bring you that joy and that state of calm and reducing that cortisol. And I know it's easier said than done. I've had so many clients be like, I cannot switch my brain off. And I get it. You are in overdrive. But even having a, a wind down routine before bed, an hour before bed can be really important. We do this for our babies when they are earthside. So why can't we do it for us when we're, for us, generally speaking as well? So I think having those practices and tools in your toolkit, so to speak, are really important for cultivating that mental health aspect and relaxation. So any other conditions that we want to touch on or symptoms, I guess, that we want to touch on in this first trimester? Should we dive into the pregnancy constipation? Because I do feel like oh, yeah. that is quite an intense one that can really exacerbate issues, um, especially when you're hitting that seven-week seven mark. What are your usual tips for preventing constipation? Any little remedies or nutrient-dense options that mamas can incorporate? So I, I really love prunes. I really love kiwi with the skin on, a couple of them a day. Yeah, I, I definitely am going through a lot of those high fiber food sources. Sometimes I do chia seeds in the water, letting it become gelatinous before consuming. Slippery elm is a really big one that I use. I also use a herbal tonic frequently called Iberagas, which is really supportive of the digestion. So I will frequently use that and as we mentioned the slippery elm is really beautiful for the nausea as well so that can be a really nice supplement to bring in uh, definitely in a capsule form not in a powder because ugh, if you're sick that will just really tie you over ginger marshmallow is another really nice one so a few herbies i do bring in there or i use nutritional support with more of those herbs in it as well so also with the probiotics and things as well what yeah. do you tend to use yeah, I'm, I'm a big flaxseed meal gal. So anyone yeah. that works in my clinic, I I I'm a, love it. I love it for the constipation relief. So I do a bit of a combination with those things, but I love doing a basically like a chia bowl, but it's soaked chia seeds overnight with your flaxseed meal. There is this incredible product on the market at the moment by Red Tractor who do hemp meal, chia meal, and flaxseed meal on the one. So Stunning. All of those seeds um, that support constipation in the one and adding that with extra chia 
is just such a beautiful digestive aid. And then adding your two kiwi fruit with your skin on and whatever else you could add some Supreme or something like that to that as well. I find that really helpful, really, yeah. really helpful every morning. You could throw it in a smoothie if you don't want to have an overnight chia bowl. But I like that as a, a food as medicine approach also. Love that. All right, let's touch on the pathology because this is a really big one. It's not uncommon for my clients, particularly if they've worked with me prior to conceiving, that I'm usually the first person that knows that they are pregnant, which I absolutely love. The best. I, I, yeah, it just makes my day and my world, honestly. Just quickly on that, I got a video the other day of her surprising her husband. So she'd even gone to the effort to film it, to send it to me because it was a whole big joint couple um, fertility, you know, picture and it was amazing. And I cried. I oh. cried. That's how invested I got. I was like, oh, my God, it was so amazing. And just seeing his reaction and then knowing I was like literally the first person that they told you just get, it's just, it's so rewarding, isn't it? It's so rewarding, honestly. And so if you've been working with us, we can sort of send you then and help guide you as to, to what pathology we would like to see. However, if you're going just to a GP and you're confirming that pregnancy, they are going to run your HCG initially to confirm that you are pregnant and more often than not, you will do a pregnancy test in the doctor's surgery as well. However, then whether they do any more testing initially, uncommon, I'm going to say, sometimes they will do a few other markers. But I guess where I'm going with this is regardless when bloods get sent to me, often my clients will say to me, oh, yeah, the GP said everything was okay. And they did, right? What I like to explain to my clients is when a GP is looking at blood pathology, they're a GP, they're a general practitioner. So they know a little about a lot of different things and they're looking to support you from a general point of view. So from a naturopathic or a nutritional point of view, we're looking for that vitality and we're looking at pathology to support you and your growing baby. So the reference ranges that a doctor is looking at is for a general human. It's the same for males. It's the same for females. It doesn't matter what age you are. It is general reference ranges and therefore their reference ranges are very broad. Whereas we have a different understanding looking at pathology and our reference ranges are very different. Um, they're not so broad. They are very specific to whether you are growing a small human or not. So <laughs> I just think it's really important to just know that your pathology results and when the doctor says it's all good, that's great. It's it's baseline all good, but then we need to put on the consideration that you are now pregnant and you are growing a tiny little human and as you said this first trimester incredible growth is occurring and it's important to support that yeah absolutely and this is I, I love that whole conversation because those reference ranges are completely void in pregnancy like they make no sense we want to look at the optimal reference ranges for you to support your pregnancy so not only bubs thriving you are thriving we yeah. want you to be thriving as much as you can through your pregnancy so that's why we recommend checking in multiple times to the trimesters of what your bloods are doing and 
I never get sent those first blood test results because the same conversation, everything's fine. I said, we need to get a copy of those and then get sent. Then I have a look at them. And I said, actually, well, now your iron's suboptimal, your vitamin D is suboptimal for where we want it in pregnancy. And then we can address that together, especially as those trimesters progress. So very, very important. If you are working with a, with a practitioner like us, that you send those bloods through because we know what those levels are and then we will obviously be working with you to make sure. It's just ensuring that your postpartum experience also isn't hindered from being in the nutrient deficient zone throughout your whole pregnancy. But obviously birth outcomes and pregnancy outcomes are also associated with that. For sure. And so from a pathology point of view, again, I keep harping on about it, but we're looking at that TSH, T4, T3, even antibodies. Uh, So again, we know that babies rely on your thyroid. So we want to make sure that they are getting tested now. It's also if they're you can listen back to our thyroid episode where we chat about the hormone fluctuations and the prevalence of thyroid in pregnancy versus postpartum. But it's also nice for us if we are continuing to work with you through that postpartum period for us to have a track record so we can actually see what your thyroid's done throughout the pregnancy and postpartum period. Also getting your fasting glucose, insulin, HbA1c is really important in this first trimester. So again, first pregnancy, you may not know, depending on your family history. If it's a second pregnancy and you have had gestational diabetes in the first pregnancy, then obviously you've already got that information. But getting the fasting glucose, the insulin and the HbA1c, looking at those levels can actually help us determine whether you are predisposed to gestational diabetes later in pregnancy. And we can actually help to prevent that from first trimester. So again, we're not just looking at these levels for now in your first trimester and what growth is occurring it's what does occur and can occur later in pregnancy and can we see any any signs or symptoms of those now through your pathology and can we prevent those yeah exactly and it's that's such a wonderful tool that we have access to for that glucose tolerance test uh, and it can dictate whether you want to do that test or not which we i'm not going to go into now because that's for trimester two but having these tests now really can dictate the rest of your pregnancy. And obviously there are other tests associated with that, but I'll let you go on. Oh yeah. So iron, another big one. So making sure you're getting your full iron studies, though, your hemoglobin as well. Again, first trimester, you may not find that your iron changes at all, if anything, but again, we can see where your iron levels and where those, that status is now. And we can help to prevent pregnancy anemia, which can occur later in pregnancy as well. And I mean, the inevitable and vitamin D levels, Yeah, I mean, I essentially like to test everything. Progesterone is a really big one. So progesterone, we're wanting to get tested, particularly if there's a history of miscarriage or if we've had, we can see that your progesterone levels aren't rising, then that's obviously a a concern as well. So that's another one that we're wanting to support in order to prevent miscarriage. And there's certain nutrients and herbs that we can use if we see your progesterone low, or of course your doctor can prescribe you progesterone pessaries as well so yeah they're just some of the main ones anything else you want to add i do like zinc copper b12 just you know those nutrients as well um obviously there's any issues with the thyroid then we can you know look at selenium yeah and all of that but i don't necessarily think um you need to have all of those done in that in that big one but the more information the better right the more information you have 
the more we can prevent nutritional deficiencies, the more the less intervention you will need throughout your pregnancy um, coming into try three and then into your postpartum picture or period. So I'm always test, don't guess. So as a you shall. So the more information we can get, why not? And then from a supplement point of view, get in practitioner grade supplements. Very important. Get in supplements prescribed that are specific to your needs, your pregnancy, your pathology. Very, very important. That's it. And we, I could absolutely talk about this for hours and hours and hours. However, please, please don't buy over-the-counter prenatals. I just don't like them because they are full of synthetic nutrients and I'm trying to always educate my clients on the importance of bioavailability of our nutrients. You don't want to be taking a supplement and you're literally peeing it out. It's like expensive urine and we want to make sure you're getting optimal absorption of those nutrients for you and your baby and pregnancy outcomes. Um, There's obviously your top non-negotiables with supplementation that can always be altered and changed based on everything that you just said, Shall with pathology and your individual needs, circumstances and medical history. But I guess run me through your top non-negotiables that you're looking for for pregnancy in terms of supplements. Yeah, well, I guess folate is that really big one. So we know that the neural tube opens and closes within that first six weeks. So again, ideally, if you've had the opportunity to do preconception care, fabulous, because a lot of women don't even know they're pregnant for that sort of four weeks at least. But that's really important. And then going for the 5-MTHFR is the preferred form. And that's what you don't find in a lot of the over-the-counter. So um, this form is it has the most bioavailability to the patient. So, and particularly we know that over 50% of women carry the MTHFR gene. And again, that can put a woman at high risk of miscarriage if she is unaware of that and taking a synthetic form of folate. So by taking an activated version, you're essentially reducing that risk as well. So, I mean, that's my big one. Choline is a, a nutrient that's relatively new in our space. I guess there's So many vitamins we're still discovering as well, but we know that choline works synergistically with folate as well. So that's another really big one that I like to incorporate. Again, a practitioner range does have baseline choline. It would depend on what you're eating and if you're eating eggs and all of those sorts of things as to whether you're getting enough choline through your diet, but we can definitely see a baseline, if not supplement with an individual dose as well. DHA, another Good one. What I love about choline too, I was looking at the research, I don't know, a couple of months ago and it stuck with me is that choline's like the new folic acid too. So it helps with that neural tube. You know, it's it's helping develop baby's brain. So it really helps with baby's IQ and that cognitive cognitive flexibility and function. So I I feel like that's a really, really important one that you know is really up there on that on that list for me also. So it's something that a lot of women wouldn't necessarily know about too if you're going through the conventional kind of um, pregnancy support through your GP. They they talk about folate, they talk about iodine um, sometimes if they're good, um, but there are those ones, they don't really talk about essential fatty acids like your DHA either. You're never hearing them talk about pregnancy probiotics also. So I think having that conversation about those other nutrients there that are also really high up on the list like your folate is really important yeah absolutely and again your choline as well it reduces uh, the risk of not only that neural tube defects but also preeclampsia which can Mm. occur later in the pregnancy as well it is important 
to be hitting the right dose. And again, as I mentioned, most of your pre-leaders will have a baseline of choline, maybe 100, potentially 200 milligrams. Essentially, you're wanting about 450 milligrams at least per day. And so that's where we look at then what other dietary sources or do we supplement individually as well? But yeah, that's a key role in methylation, that one. So it is really important. And it also helps transport the nutrients across the placenta. Yeah, it's a major player, absolutely major player. Absolutely. Iodine, another really big one. So we've talked about the thyroid a little bit. It's not something that I rarely individually dose with because a prenatal will also have it in there. But I do like to bring food sources in through either seafood or seaweed or, you know, adding different foods like that into the diet so that you are hitting those iodine needs and supporting Bubba's thyroid that way. And most good prenatals will have iodine in it anyway. Like exactly. they'll have a, they'll have a really nice therapeutic dose, which you know shouldn't throw out the thyroid if there is an issue. So that's something to be aware of too. But again, if you do have a thyroid issue, you do want to work with your practitioner to understand maybe that iodine could throw off your thyroid if you've got something going on. Yeah, and then earlier, you know, sometimes I'll use CoQ10. So again, just to re- improve that implantation and support the early placental development as well just depends on what a woman's it really just depends on what a woman's pathology is coming back as how we're seeing that hcg rise you know all those sorts of things is there anything else that you will add in I do the pregnancy probiotic just because I'm very obsessed with yeah. every type of gut microbiome. And we know the research does show that it does decrease the risk of childhood asthma, allergies, you know, childhood obesity, childhood anxiety, all of those mental health issues as well. Childhood food intolerances, that type of thing. It's definitely not the be all and end all, but I think establishing that early in the mother's gut microbiome, we know it's not a sterile environment anymore. So I think that's really important important too I'm very big on that but you've mentioned all the ones that I use as well so there's nothing really I'd add in unless there was something showing up on their pathology that we needed to address yeah cool I think that's probably covered first trimester yeah yeah I feel like we've covered all the major signs and symptoms pathology supplements dietary considerations and you know concerns that arise from those recommendations Obviously, if we've missed anything, you're more than welcome to slide into our DMs and let us know. So we're more than happy to answer those questions. But in our next episode, we will dive into trimester two and it'll be the similar format of what we're doing in today's episode and we'll carry that into try three. I feel like we've done postpartum to death. However, (laughs) we have. Yeah. (laughs) If something comes up for postpartum, you know, maybe we can add that in there too. But I think it's a really good educational piece for everyone to listen to. All right, guys, well, we will see you next epi. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That way we can continue to inspire and reach more mamas around the globe. If you would like to get in contact, request a guest or topic, then head to the No BS Approach to Motherhood Instagram page and send us a direct message. Otherwise, until next episode, stay sane, mama.